0: So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Valley Show. Today we have myself Mighty Pete and we are joined by Sunil Godsee. Good afternoon.
1: Good. Uh, well, in my, it's it's morning over here. So uh, good afternoon, good morning. Um, I'm I'm super stoked about this uh, this interview. Happy to uh, dive some knowledge bombs and uh, getting your listeners today, getting them to trust their intuition so that they start making the right decisions and more importantly, stop wasting time making bad ones.
0: Ooh, like it, like it. We're we're straight in in the deep end here. So, give us a quick overview. So, what do you do? Where are you from? And Really, what's it all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, from, from London, Ontario, Canada, um, so I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Intuitionology or intuitionology.com. Uh, and essentially what I've done, and we'll get into the story of why, but I took a real deep dive into intuition uh, and to really understand, rather than this being a buzzword and, and people putting social media themes on, uh, you know, I, I trust my gut and I live my, it's always good to trust your intuition. Oh, oh, that's great, you know, but what does that actually mean? Uh, and and so for me, it was really important to dive much much deeper, bring a scientific aspect to this thing called this intangible thing that we kind of throw around. Um, and and it was it's just really my journey of why it, it's so important in helping make the right decisions um, because it's never wrong. We'll discuss why, uh, and when you do, you end up making the right decision for that s- situation every single time. And it it goes back to the complex nature of intuition, what it actually is comprised of that helps you do that. And so I'm just bringing it to the world and changing as many people's lives as I can, one person at a time, Um, and and that's my purpose. And it really comes from that, as you call it, the fire in the belly, the passion. And the passion has aligned with my values and and, and that gives me my purpose. And I continue to live that every single day. And that's what gets me up in the morning and makes me sleep with a smile at night.
0: Hmm. Well, interesting. I mean,
1: so in the belly for you, what, what is it? It's to affect somebody, one person, and whether it's not directly, it it'll be indirectly. Um, luckily for me, uh, I, my kids are an example of that. So I have them around me all the time. So invariably, there's something that comes up where there's an intuitive nature to it. Um, and my daughter, who's fourteen, we can get to talk about that. She runs a nonprofit an official nonprofit business uh, just through her intuition, through that fire in the belly that she had on a trip to India. Uh, And now she's raised over $30,000 in just over a year and a half. And right at 14, she has her own podcast series. And so we we have that sort of intuitiveness embedded in the stuff that we talk about that Um, the content that I'm producing, there's always that vision that there's someone that's going to be affected by this. Um, And so if I can focus on changing that life of that one person, um, then I've got that. It could be the same person or different person every single day, but that life gets changed, uh, and it just I can extrapolate the success that I'm helping that person have by shining a light on something that he or she already is born with and has. Uh, I'm just making them realize that it's there for you, it's your best friend, and so embrace it.
0: I mean, not not helping others does that in turn then reflect back onto you, or is it is it the giving nature or the receiving nature? Where where does it lie for you?
1: I think it's just it's just a uh, for me it's, it's it just feels right. It feels great. It feels it makes me feel alive. It it completes my day. Um, and uh, it, it just it's like a flow. And we'll talk about the reason why it there's it's it's hard to put in a language, um, because it really is that cathartic feeling that we all have when something goes right or we're on that path to what it, we're meant to do. Uh, and, and there's a scientific reason for it as well, which we'll get into as well, but it's, it's just that, 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 it doesn't mean that uh, you know, every day is hunky dory. doesn't mean that we're going to have emotional ups and downs and we're going to go through uh, like a roller coaster, ups and downs, but we have to manage that. But uh, if you look at the dots where the trajectory is going, you know, it's, it's up for me.
0: Is it part of human nature to have ups and downs? I mean, do we, are we contrast by nature Are we contrast beasts? Do we need that that sort of gap to be able to see?
1: I I don't know if we need that. I, I Certainly there, there's some appreciations that we can have for it. There's things that we just simply can't control. We can't control the behavior of others. We can't control the opinions of others. We can't control what goes on social media uh, we, we can't control. So the values of others impinging us. And so then we got these rising emotions and decisions that we have to make. Um, and so it's just basically how we handle it. I, and, and so the negative is also really is, is actually your friend. Uh, you know, when you look at your fear, for example, uh, if a saber tooth tiger is running for you, that's a negative, you know, you don't stand strand around waiting to you know be called lunch. Um, yeah, you know, if you hadn't, when you were a kid, F- felt the the oven that was hot and, and move your hand out. Um, you know you wouldn't realize. I mean you burn your hand. Uh, and if you take it even higher than that, you know fear is from a brain plasticity perspective, fear is actually your best friend. Uh, and uh, your failures are also fantastic, valuable lessons for your intuition to pluck from, so that you're not gonna. You shouldn't be. Re- you know, repeating those mistakes again. Uh, you know, if you have, then you obviously you're not listening to your intuition from my perspective. Uh, so the ups and downs are, are absolutely necessary. Things are changing and it's how you manage that. But it also helps you filter those people around you. Uh, it puts you in situations that you choose to be in and it gets you to manage those things you can't control. But what you can control is sort of the path that you're on, the journey that you're on, the people you have around, the situations that you put yourself in to really kind of You know, maximize your happiness, uh, your intrinsic motivation, and what really drives you to live. Uh, And and so, I don't think the ups and downs are a bad thing at all.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it is that contrast, right? You know. So, I I mean, would you would you describe yourself now as intuitive?
1: Yes, highly intuitive. Um, There's levels of intuitive as well. So for example, some people who are very intuitive can hear the thoughts of others. Um, Others, uh, they say they can manifest things that happen. Um, Others see people who are intuitive, and they see people who have passed away. Um, And so these are people I've interviewed. Uh, and uh, have said that that's what their qualities are. For me, being intuitive means that I'm really in touch with what I call intuitive signals. Uh, And when my intuition is really kind of speaking to me, um, that's when I know when the right decision is, what the right decision is to make. And I know when I'm about to make the wrong decision. And it's really listening to those signals that's really important for me that makes me intuitive. Um, And so for me, I look at it as something that guides my ability to make decisions um, and the right ones to move my life forward.
0: Give me, an, give me an example, if you would, just about, I mean, you talk about signals. I mean, what are we talking here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so one of the ones that really was uh, hit me really early on, and it was one of the ones when I started to ask myself about this thing called intuition uh, and to really kind of understand what is this thing called intuition and why is it important uh, and so I remember when I was five years old, I had these video games that I wanted to buy. My and my dad was saying that they were they're too expensive. And I distinctly remember I remember to the T. I even remember where I was standing. It was in this sort of forest area. I was looking down at my feet. Uh, my sneakers were on. I was walking in some leaves. It was fall. And my and this voice comes up and says, "Sunil, go door to door to raise money." Uh, and th- 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 I've never done that before. And so that's exactly what I did. I I raised. I went door-to-door, had lots of milk and cookies, uh, and raised $200. $100 went to my dad for the video games, and then another $100 went to charity because my school was doing that, and that because it felt really good. Uh, and, and, but I do remember that there were other sort of signals that I had, uh, and particularly when I was ignoring my intuition. One of the first ones was, you know, being, being South Asian male, uh, you know, there's really four doors of careers that you can go through, it's just doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure, and that's really it. Uh, so I picked door number three, which was engineering. My dad was an engineer, even though the, the signals were telling me that I needed to, to be something different. And to me, different meant being entrepreneurial in nature. All the breadcrumbs I had in my life were very entrepreneurial in nature, whether you can look back and call it sales, marketing, cash flow, uh, stuff like that. But the stuff that I got my, myself into that I really enjoyed were very entrepreneurial in nature. Yet I followed the societal norms uh, and became the uh, South Asian male, which was become the engineer. Uh, and I hated it. Uh, I spent three years in it. And the, these, these again, these signals started getting louder and louder to get me out. And I got an opportunity to become a, uh, an investor in a Mexican restaurant chain that came up to Canada. And it, it, the signal was saying, yeah, this is what's meant for you. Um, and just felt right uh, to join that. So I put money there to become an investor. And pretty soon I was making five times more in dividends as a part-time investor than I was as a full-time engineer. So uh, again, these these signals were getting louder and I ended up quitting engineering um, and I sacrificed my relationship with my dad uh, and it was necessary, but I felt so good. I ran uh, six different ventures in a whole bunch of different areas, $20 million in revenues, and uh, just absolutely loved it, ended up turning into a management consultant. Um, and then there was this opportunity where I got a huge opportunity in Silicon Valley, um, yet the contract terms started changing. And once again, I got these signals that were different that were saying back away from that contract. But I was so emotionally tied to the value of that contract that I went down to Silicon Valley, spent every single penny, uh, and they didn't pay me. And I came back, back up to Canada with 25 cents in my bank account. And uh, I was about to be married. My wife, luckily, was in India at the time where I met her. So I remember f- driving back up to Canada uh, across the U.S. Canada border, and she's saying, "How are things are going?" And I said, "Great. Uh, just going to settle back in Calgary, Canada, where I was about to live." And um, I, like, the, the the money for our marriage was gone, and I didn't even know where I was going to sleep that day. I haven't even gotten to those phone calls as to whose whose couch am I going to sleep on. Um, so. Uh, and then perhaps the most devastating one, which really got me to dive really deep, was when I was in in university doing engineering, I had uh, I'd been doing some personal coaching at the time. And I had a friend of mine who was desperately reaching out to get a hold of me, and she was being stalked at the time. Uh, and so, again, the signal was telling me, meet with her that afternoon. I, I didn't have anything on my agenda, but for some weird, dumb reason, I don't know why, I said, let's meet a couple of days later. And so, what happened is the very next day, that same fellow walked up to her at a bus shelter and put a bullet through her head and killed her instantly. Uh, And so, now I really needed to figure out what is this thing called intuition? Why couldn't I have this? Like, what are all these different signals? Uh, Why didn't I listen to it? Uh, You know, I've now lost time, effort, money, and a good friend from ignoring this thing called intuition. I really need to figure out what this thing is. And that was a raging fire in my belly uh, at that time when I started thinking about that because I needed to change how I went about making decisions. And if I could change it for myself, then uh, perhaps I can change it for others.
0: Oh, well, what an amazing journey. And that's, that's so powerful. And, i'm just curious you know when you talk about signals i mean what's what's your understanding of the origin of the signals
1: so the signals are essentially the way that intuition speaks to you and so when i looked at there are a couple of things i did one is i looked at the science to see um what is it so what is this thing called signals and the way i tried to define intuition i didn't know how so is it a signal is that it and what are the characteristics lots of questions sort of swirling in my brain so the way that I looked at it is, okay, let's see what's going on online. And so does online, is there anything about signals online? And the only thing I found out online were really about intuition being like this voice from God. It uh, happens in meditation, uh, things like that spiritual nature. And that it didn't really resonate with me. I, you know, I respect those that define it, their intuition that way. But it didn't resonate with me. The online dictionaries just didn't resonate with me. I just couldn't find this definition that made sense, uh, and so then I remember this intuitive. There was an in, international psychic in my in social media circle, and she talked about signals uh, with intuition. I said, "Okay, let me go interview her." So I brought a film crew to uh, ask her about intuition, and so she does talk about intuition being signals. She was saying that intuition was energetic in nature. Uh, the research just hasn't caught up. We have to change our belief systems, uh, and it's tied to quantum theory and all that stuff. And so as an ex engineer, I really started becoming a little bit, yeah, I kind of understand that. And so if I see these signals as energetic in nature, I remember thinking about when I was in engineering, if you looked at, for example, steel, steel has mass-like properties and energy or wave-like properties. So that made sense to me. Um, What baffled me was that she was talking that there was like no research. And and I said, well, if this happened to me, and, and I remember when I wrote my first book, Fail Fast, Succeed Faster, 80 to 90% of those executives talked to some version of, they ignored their gut, they ignored their intuition, they knew what the right decision was. So all these other people are having these experiences. Like, why is there no research? That This makes absolutely no sense. So I'm thinking, who can I talk to, to try and figure out, okay, is there a scientific explanation for this? And so I had this neurologist, the colleague of mine, and I said, okay, I'm going to go talk to him. So take my film crew to see him at the hospital he was at get into a boardroom, flip on the camera and ask him, is there this thing called intuition? And I was actually expecting maybe a five-minute, hmm, I'm not sure. Uh, and so that way, I didn't have to put too much money in the meter, you know, and uh, save a little bit more for a coffee. And next thing you know, he says, oh, it absolutely exists. Um, there's more and more neurons in the gut that are short-circuiting and going to the brain. He trusts it with his patients. We all have a sixth sense. Uh, and he's saying there's more neuroscience research coming out that says that it it actually acts much earlier than we consciously think about it. And so I'm thinking, okay, so there is some science behind this. And so I went to an academic database to try and type in uh, so I typed in the word intuition. I'm expecting like maybe 10, 12 articles. And when I hit enter, there's tens of thousands of articles on intuition. And so one of the things I remember when I was five years old, I'm thinking, well, okay, are we born with this thing? And there was this research article that showed that infants as young as two months old have been shown to have intuitive tendencies. So they call it intuitive physics in this, in this uh, paper. Uh, there was another research article that showed that your intuition is subconscious in nature and it acts in an instant in time. Uh, and it hits the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and there's a couple of other areas and I don't want to get too technical but that's the fight or flight area there's no capacity for language so there's no that's exactly why I couldn't find a definition is because it hits the amygdala where it's it's that feeling again so it's it's either fight flight like trust fear it's it's like these one word things that we feel and that's where your intuition hits and so i create my own definition around it So if I think of it like an art and a science, or if I think about it like voices from God, or if I think about it's all based on experience, that's how I define it. And that's okay, because it's how I define that feeling. And to Dr. Rathbone, the neurologist's point uh, about showing up much earlier, I found this paper that showed that intuition actually acts on average at that time, seven to 10 seconds before we actually make a decision or take action. And they found the same in entrepreneurs, seven seconds on average before an entrepreneur makes a decision. Uh, And so now I've got this research that's behind me saying, okay, now I understand it. So how does it actually work? Uh, And that was my next step. And so I I spent ten thousand oh, probably over ten thousand hours just pouring over the research, uh, and found out how it affected marketing decisions, athletes, um, you know how the how the more famous people talk about it, um, and and just going all over that. And I, then I interviewed over a thousand people to figure out okay how does it work for them? And there was something very particular about these signals that they actually are uh, characterized into two different inventories, two different types: yes, positive and negative signals. And the positive signals are the ones that tell you that you're making the right decision. And so things like, for, for me, it's like a feeling of flow. The dots are connecting. Uh, and I had one CEO that I talked to, and he actually sees this omen that pops up on his left uh, or his right shoulder. There's no color, no shape, but he just knows that if he's looking at putting a business deal together or hiring someone, this omen pops up. And he just says yes immediately because now he's got this positive signal and and he he's grown massively. One company, he's moved on now to a second company. He's he's just massively growing that one, Uh, both two different businesses. One was an online retailer. The other one was um, bespoke uh, men's tailoring. So uh, there's these positive signals. And then the negative signals um, are ones obviously that tell you that you shouldn't be making that decision. So for me, I get that anxiousness, or we've all kind of walked into that room where we kind of go something's just not right here. And so those, those are those sort of what I call subtle signals. Uh, And then um, I've had some people that, uh, you know, there's one entrepreneur, I was, I was um, interviewing him and I was asking him about his intuitive signals. He's never even thought about it. I mean, it's not exactly what you talk about when you have a cup of coffee. Hey, let's go for coffee. Uh, You know, what are your intuitive signals? I mean, it's not exactly sort of routine uh, uh, things that you talk about, but he just never knew. And when I we started talking about the failures that he got into, the ventures he got into for the wrong reasons, like money or fame, or he just, just wasn't really, it was too popular, it just wasn't for him. He kept grabbing his left earlobe. And then he realized, he said, Sunil, I think I just realized what my negative intuitive signal is. And he now remembers when he got into those ventures, he kept getting his left earlobe kept getting hot. And he used to wonder, like, what is there something wrong with me? Uh, And then every time he discussed those bad ventures with his wife, his left earlobe kept getting hot. So this is how specific these signals are. And what we have to be careful with the negative signals is that they actually start very subtle in nature. So uh, Oprah Winfrey calls them whispers. But it's it's like, as as I was saying earlier, when you walk into a room, you're just going to, something's off yet many of us will not recognize that as a negative intuitive signal and will keep walking or we'll be oblivious to these and for some for example let's say a common intuitive signal is let's say that that voice and let's for example let's say for you and I it's that it's a negative signal so if you've identified that as your first intuitive signal so that voice comes whenever you're making the first bad decision you're golden because you kind of know what that is but if I've recognized that voice as my first signal, but it's my third signal, what I haven't done is I've missed recognizing what signal number one and signal number two are. And when I've missed those two signals, I've made two bad decisions. And if I've made two bad decisions, either I could be stubbing my toe on a door, which is okay, maybe painful, or I could be headed towards bankruptcy. I just don't know. And so those are where the signals are. The other thing I found out is that there's your intuition. The way that it behaves is like it's like being in a car. So when you're driving a car, you press the button or or in the now I mean turning the keys for these some of the older cars, but you hear the engine whir, uh, and so you can hear the engine. Those are the signals that are that are telling you, and you can actually just keep driving if you want. You don't necessarily need to be a mechanic to figure out what's under the hood. Uh, But I wanted to find out what's under the hood. I'm that nerd that really kind of, even though I don't even know what I'm looking for. I just want, that just fascinates me. So I pop open the hood of this thing called intuition. And what I found out is that there's actually four types that work all together in a split second to help you uh, with a decision that you're about to make. And the best case study I can give you, the best example of how this actually works is with a case study from a non-believer. So someone who absolutely did not believe in intuition. And in one hour, he was a complete believer. Uh, and so I visited this one friend of mine, John Rothschild. He said, so he, this is guy is an investment banker. Okay, so data, spreadsheets, experience, that's all life is all about. So at the time that we're doing this interview, as I mentioned, you know, online, you're talking about spirituality, things coming from the cosmos. These really didn't sit well with John, and John said, "Yeah, you know what, Sunil? Yeah, intuition just doesn't exist. Uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about, um, but come on down. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, I'll, we'll talk about intuition, I think, for about five minutes, and then the rest of the fifty-five minutes, let's just chat, catch up." So I said, "Okay, come down." I turn on the camera, and I'm trying to convince him of these signals, even with the CEO that sees the omens, as and he goes yeah, you know, Sunil, I'd really like to shake the hand of that guy that sees omens. But uh, listen, uh, you know, any decision you make in life is really about data. It's about experience. It's about your learning. And I said, well, hold on, John. I said, now, this is now we're going to start getting into the four types of intuition. One of the four types of intuition is called experiential intuition. And what experiential intuition does is that if you look at your brain like a library, uh, sorry, an iceberg, pardon me, 90%, 90%, which is the subconscious part, is really below water. The 10%, which is your conscious part, is above water. And so when you're born, you have all these experiences that are going around you. Infants, 5,000 experiences, decisions a day, experiences a day. And research shows that adults, anywhere from twenty 000 to 35,000 per day. All these things are being put into the subconscious area of your brain, like a library. And over time, you have this huge library of experience. That's good and bad. All the learning you've done, both formal and informal, as I call street smarts, and the experiences of others, your failures, as well as the hurdles you've gone, they're all in this massive library. So when you're about to make a decision in a split second, your intuition goes into the subconscious area, picks apart the pieces of information or the learning experience that is relevant to the decision you're making, and it's primed and ready for you. So when it's telling you to make a decision, there's a history already that you've had that is telling you that that's the right decision to make. So in some cases, your intuition has you go against the data. And then John was saying, well, that's really interesting. I have I have an, a story for you. And so I said, well, well, tell me the story. And so he was saying that he was in the business of running franchises. So if you put a franchise location, typically there's a benchmarking system and it's out of a 10. So a franchise location, a successful one is going to be a nine out of 10. And he takes a look at demographic data, the development of the area, um, you know, traffic flows, things like that. So there was this one location where it was a five and a half out of 10 in Toronto, Canada, just a crappy location, according to his, his, uh, what he was describing at that time. And now we're getting into the second of four called situational intuition. Him and his his partner walked to this location that they were thinking of putting in uh, franchises, which his team was saying it's a five and a half out of 10, not even close to a nine. But something was telling him to put a location there. And he went against the team and he put a location there. And that that location started the first of many of one brand of restaurants called the Beer Market, which was the best uh, portfolio in all of the other brand names that he had ever in the portfolio that he had. So now John's getting it. And now we start talking about intuition. He's starting to, and he's now saying, perhaps it's intuition, I'm not sure, but at least he's a bit of talking about language. And he's talking, we talked about teams, we talked about bringing the partners. Um, And then there was a time where he was saying that his purpose changed, and we, as we talked about, as you might mean, might want to say his fire in the belly moment, and he wanted to go from being instead of a investment banker, where he spent a number of years very successful, he wanted to now own a company. Complete change in purpose, and so now we're going to get into the third of the four, called relational intuition. What relational intuition does is it filters those people who are really gonna support you in your purpose, in what you wanna do, not necessarily yes people, but they will be there for you in the ups and downs and they support you in your path. Everybody who was talking to John who were complaining about, well, you're nuts, they were concerned about money, fame, ego, security, high-end restaurants, private jets, limousines, All those people were telling him he was nuts. Not one of them asked him, why are you thinking about doing that, except his wife. And the one person he listened to was his wife. And so the fourth of the four is now called creative intuition. That's the one that actually makes the decision. So if you make a decision that's mundane, like what am I gonna eat or I'm gonna turn left here, then your creative intuition is pretty low. I mean, that's just a routine decision. But if you're going to make a decision that's so nuts, as John's peers called it, uh, it's pretty high. And you would think that his intuition picks, uh, you know, a business to run that has healthy cash flow, strong revenues and a strong balance sheet. Uh, And his intuition says, nope, we're going to run a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. And so he talks, looks at his wife and he looks at her eyes and I'm quoting John now from someone who is a non-believer. He looked at his wife, and he actually tells her, "This just feels right." There's the positive intuitive signal. He wa- he quits his three to four million dollar a year job, walks into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant, and that restaurant ends up being Eastside Mario's location number one. And he grew that to over a thousand locations under different brand names like the Beer Market, Eastside Mario's, Casey's. Uh, there's a bunch of others, and when he retired twenty years later from that. $2 billion in revenues, all because it felt right. And so the natural next question is why do we screw it up? Why do we ignore it? Uh, if we've got these four types of intuition that are telling us we're making the right decision, if we've got these signals that are telling us this is the right decision and this is you're making the wrong decision, why do we ignore the signals? And The primary reason I found was that we simply don't trust ourselves. Many of us are going around in life where we've had some kind of trauma in the past, or we're trying to prove something to somebody, or we're trying to be somebody that we think we've got to be in society. And when we start operating like this, where we're not really in alignment with what we really want in terms of our values... Then we start to succumb to societal norms. We start to succumb to the values of others. We start to forsake our own values and fall into some really bad things. And and a great case in point is um, you know Debbie Montgomery Johnson, who her fa- her husband had died, and this huge hole in her life. And she this is really strange. She was a, a an ex banker, a CIA intelligence officer. She never wanted to be in debt. So her she always wanted to protect herself with people who were trying to take advantage. So she had these strong values. And really, she was a strong person that way. But when her husband had died, those values seemed to have shrunk away. And when she went looking for another relationship online, she connected with an online scammer. And because her values were so broken, he was able to steal over a million dollars from her. And the only reason why it stopped was because he revealed himself. That was the only reason. So with those broken values, she just started putting the, the trust and faith in somebody else who kept taking money from her starts with 60 bucks, then 5,000, then a hundred thousand, then half a million. Uh, and, and it was money that she didn't even have. Like she went, she went begging and borrowing and grabbed a hundred grand from her parents. Uh, right. So this is what happens when we're, we're not in alignment, kind of, with our values. And what you, the, so that what there's, there's kind of this two step process that I would say that you have to do. One is get in alignment with your values, understand what they are. And then the second part, which is probably the hardest, is making sure that we strip away everything to live those values and actually take action. And I had this interview with this fellow, Vin Jang. He, is a, he speaks to about 100,000 people a year on 80 stages. He used to be a former magician. Now he talks about communication and just helping people change lives. Uh, and, and so we got on this, this thing called in, uh, on, on a podcast interview and he was telling me that he was in a crap place in life. Uh, he was living for other people. He was doing things extrinsically. His career was on fire, but internally, intrinsically, He felt like crap. And so he told his wife, I I have to go away for six. uh, I I just got to go away where it brings all these crayons and pens and everything. And he goes away where there's into New Zealand where there's no cell phone service. And he starts putting up these, what he thought were his values up on the wall. And he stares at them and he looks at them and says, well, these aren't my values, actually. This is what my wife wants. This is what my parents want. This is what society wants. This is what my career wants. Where am am I? And he says, these things are haunting, staring back at him. He rips them all out, puts the right ones up. And he said that instead of feeling liberated, uh, he felt frightened. He said it was frightening that he's giving himself permission to live the life his own way. He was gripped with fear that he's finally living a life that he wanted to. But he says, I'm going to do this. So he comes away. And right after that episode, after going through that tremendous euphoric kind of thing, he falls back to the same circle of friends, same extrinsic motivation, having a nice car, high-rise downtown LA, playing stupid amounts of money for rent, back to the same thing. And six months later, he had to go through the same exercise again. And the six, six months later, then he says he finally is ready. And, and he said the one thing that had him do that thing again was actually his mom, his, his, his parents and he's Vietnamese. And he was saying that there's a saying in Vietnamese that when you hang around uh, squid, you're going to get some ink on you. And they were saying, you're hanging around too much squid. You're not my boy. This is not my boy. And he had that cathartic reaction. And he went through the exercise again. Um, and so six months later, he was able to make the decisions, like moving away from uh, going back to Australia and forgetting about what his speaking and all that stuff, living for him. And what the one thing that I tell people is that when you make a bad decision, uh, there's something called opportunity cost. It's actually twice the cost uh, of it's not just the cost of making the bad decision. It's also the cost of not making the right decision. And so in Vin Jang's case, uh, it, as I was telling him on the podcast interview, it's not just the six months that you lost, uh, you know, not being who you should be. It's the six months that you could have gained and being who you should be. So you've actually lost a year of your life, my friend. Uh, and if you're in the business of helping people, how many people have you left behind? How many people didn't you help? And he said, I've never, ever thought about it that way. And so we're always gripped by this fear somehow. And there, there's there's actually four intuitive hurdles. Uh, fear is the biggest one, but I'll go through the other th- the other. Let's go through all four. The big one is being too emotional. So typically when we get into relationships, We're way too emotional and we we give, I don't want to say second chances because intuition always gives second chances. It's the third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance that we get into. Uh, And there's the other one, which is being too rational. And I fell into that being the engineer and wasting three years of my life. And if you look at opportunity costs, that's six years uh, because I could have become an entrepreneur. And I don't know how many millions of dollars I forsake from that, if you want to put a tangible dollar amount to that. The other one is is ego. And there's two sides to ego. One is the narcissism. But the other one is following the hurt, where you follow a group of people or a person because perhaps uh, they're famous, or they go to the right places, or they're wearing a brand name, or their values are what we aspire to be. But we internally, intrinsically know we shouldn't be hanging around that person, or we should be putting them clo- away, uh, farther away, because their values really don't resonate with ours, but we seem to want to hang around them. Uh, and we can only define what that want is. Um, we everybody's got that; they've had that. And the last one is fear. And there's there's three types of fear: fear of failure, fear of the unknown, uh, and fear of change. And if you go back to the science of what happens, the all the different areas there's there's sort of four areas of the brain that get hit when intuition comes up. And, and the primary one, of course, is the amygdala. Right? It it just knows that this is the right decision you have to make. I mean, it comes with a positive signal, and it just knows that signal. It's the right decision. But what we fear is actually taking the steps towards that, right? And if you look from a from a brain plasticity perspective, uh, when we get into these fearful moments, the, the the neurons are actually primed and ready for you to create new neural pathways, to get into a situation that even though you fear it, your brain is saying, "Let's do it." Your intuition is saying, "Let's do it." Everything around you is saying, "Let's do it." You're telling yourself, "I'm not so sure." And the hard part, as it was for Vin, is to actually take that step and trust your intuitive signal to move ahead. And a great study uh, and a story is is that there's this fellow David Dame, who has cerebral palsy, in his in, his, uh, in a wheelchair for the whole his whole life. And his, the dream that he had was, I just want to go on a beach and just feel the toes, the sand in my toes and the water through my toes. So, a couple of years ago, he gets his chance, a number of years ago, he gets his chance. Um, and so he's on a beach and his friends wheel him up to that sand water barrier and they stand him up and he feels the sand. But next thing you know, he falls flat in the water. And fear gripped him the embarrassment, the fear of what just happened to me. And so he says, Sunil, there's two things I can do at that moment. One is succumb to that fear and sit back in that wheelchair and forever regret the chance of turning my dream into the reality when it's right here. Or I can trust my intuition to take a step and take another step and take another step. And he continued to do that. And he points to his chin, says the water gets up to about his chin level. And then he turns around and he said, Sunil, I had not realized how far I had come. And so when you live your life trusting your intuitive signals, taking those steps one by one, you don't, of course, you're going to reach your goals, goals, but don't you look at those goals. Don't look at the money and the fame and the and, 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 and high square footage house. Look to intrinsic motivation. Look look for it inside. And you have to trust those signals. And even when you're down and out and when you don't think things are possible, those signals are always shining. Even if you're going down a slippery slope, you're concentrating so much on looking down at the slope that you don't bother to look up at that shining light. That is your intuition. This is your intuition. This is your signals. These are things you're born with. This is your experiences. It has nothing to do with the proprietary process that is in some textbook or my take on, on what, how you should live your life. It has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with you. And so all you have to do is take that signal, even when you're down and out, and trust it. And there was this, this one, Sarah Prout, who was in an abusive marriage, 10 years, 40 instances of physical abuse. And in fact, when I was interviewing her for my, my podcast interview, she said, Sunil, I really don't want to concentrate on the, what happened. I, it's just, it really triggers me. And I said, well, I, I don't really care so much about that. I, tell me about what happened afterwards. Uh, and, but she said that there was just, she knew, like, it was, it was December 31st, I believe, 2016. And another argument came up about the movie that needed to be watched. And again, she knew where it was headed. She, she heard the tone from her ex. Uh, and she knew where it was headed if she argued further. She goes outside. She looks at the stars. And there's that final intuitive signal. It's just loud and clear, basically telling her, to get out now. you got to do it now. And scared. She was scared. She had two kids. She, when she o- w- walks out that door, she has no money. She has no place to s- sleep. And in fact, she did walk out that door. And she actually ended up with $30,000 in debt. So she walks out the door wondering what she's gonna do, trusting the intuitive signals, picking up furniture on the side of the roads so that she can have something that her kids could sleep on or sit on, going into public washrooms to steal the soap so that she can put the pieces together so that her kids can have a shower, eating beans on days on end. But she trusted those signals one by one by one, day after day, minute after minute. And eventually she meets the love of her life on Twitter Uh, A year later, they decide to see if that works, and it was truly someone she knew that was meant for her. They get married, uh, and she then starts this business in manifestation. Um, And uh, six and a half years to that day that she walked out of the door, she's now a multimillionaire uh, because she trusted the signals. That's not about the money. It's about that journey. Walking out that front door, $30,000 in debt, nowhere to live two kids to feed and trusting the intuitive signals to move you forward. That's what it really means to trust your intuition. That's what it really means to make the right decisions and avoid the wrong decisions. And it's hard. It is really hard, but it shouldn't be because these signals are there. It's just a matter of is, of how important is it for you and how important is it for you to start the work right after listening to this podcast uh, that's entirely in your hands.
0: What in your experience either triggers somebody to start listening, feeling whatever way you receive your intuition or either triggers them to start or actually makes them go back and actually take it a bit more seriously?
1: Unfortunately, the majority of of the times, it's when you've hit rock bottom. Um, And when you hit rock bottom, you then can look to the past to see what the decisions are that led you there. And I don't think people actually look very closely as to what the markers were, what the intuitive signals were, um, because they kind of gloss over a lot of it. And so, when, when, for example, one of the people, one of the uh, earlier ones I I interviewed when I started doing my podcast series, the first question I used to ask is, when did intuition impact your life? Um, now I, I get into the definition and I talk about the signals. But there was this one person who didn't know what she was going to talk about, very very nervous, and um, you know I, I started. She she wasn't sure if she wanted to do the interview, and in fact, we had to later uh, blur her story because of the content. But She said, okay, I'm ready. I think I'm ready. And so we turned on the camera and and I asked her that question. She goes, "Um, I ignored my intuition and I was sexually assaulted. Uh, And the next 45 minutes of our interview were all the signs. Right from the very first time that the guy asked her to help her with a problem he was having. Something in his voice said, walk away. And she didn't. And one signal after another signal after another signal. Was and that was forty five minutes of a conversation. It was all there. She had multiple times she could walk away, and this was someone who is a physically fit. She was actually competing. Uh, she was lifting with. She's like she's a IFBB pro athlete, uh, and it, that didn't matter in the the moment he overpowered her, and, and that that unfortunately she went through when she did. So we can go through the rock bottoms of our life and look back and we can, and now we've i'm coming out with these things called the signals and and you need to pay attention to these inventory signals were the positive ones whether negative the negative ones so even people going through rock bottoms don't get to that level of depth when they should uh, and even if they, we talked earlier about the the third signal versus the first signal maybe it was a voice but what was the whisper right and i i don't think people go into that depth where they should um that's one Um, And when every 100% of the time, when we go past, back to any of the situations people have gone through, the signals were all there. Nobody has ever hesitated when telling me about what their intuitive signals were, because they felt it. They felt it right from the very first time. And so we all recognize it, we just don't consciously recognize it. And so what I'm trying to do is saying, okay, we have these things, let's consciously do the work. Uh, And more importantly, do the work now, why do you wanna wait till you hit rock bottom? Uh, And it's really unfortunate, there's a statistic that I I actually ask my interviewees with, and this is where the fear comes in, that if you look at things like Gallup and Harvard, uh, online completion rates and happiness, and a bunch of others, if you put these statistics together in a room full of 25,000 people, where their hands are going up saying, I do wanna change. They're actually joining the course or doing something where they actually say I'm going to change the completion rate, the number of people in that room full of twenty-five thousand people that actually take the steps to finish what they meant to start, is one. And fear seems to be the number one reason many people say. But why? If you've got your hand up and you've got the tools in front of you, why don't we? Why don't we take advantage of the tools? Uh, it, to me, it's just a very perplexing question, um, and something that I'm looking to change. Um, you know, so certainly I've got I've got a seven day challenge, which is free, by the way. And people, they take a, they take a problem, and I show them how to use the components of intuition to solve that problem. I've had fifty four thousand people through. One hundred percent of them, I actually measured their strength of their intuition before and after. One hundred percent of the time, the intuition has gotten stronger. Uh, and they've been able to find a solution to one problem, and I have now a downloadable PDF that they can take for every problem, and it has nothing to do with me. I, I just show them the steps that they have to take first, and it's very—you have to start with your negative signals and positive, and then actions and things like that. But it's a very specific process, but you can take that for every single decision, ever, forever. Right. And in, in that seven day challenge, I've actually got two case studies uh, of people that actually go through every single task with you. And one is uh, someone who actually sold his house in the seven days. Uh, he started in day one with a house and he was about to assign a house price that was $20,000 on asking. A real estate person came in, threw her card in his face, and started badgering him. And before he used to be a pushover, said, Okay, okay, because he's scared. He doesn't know anything. You're the expert. Yes, I'll sign somewhere. Yeah, but again, he, his intuition was saying something's up uh, and let's not talk to others. These other people who are muddling up my 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 decision-making. And day seven, he sold his house for $50,000 over. There was a bidding war actually. Uh, and so that's a $70,000 decision. Uh, and that's great. That's a $10,000 a day uh, decision. Fantastic. But the other case study, which is someone from Ashley Michelle, who is a witness to a homicide. In fact, she actually walked into the apartment where her boyfriend had just murdered their friend in the bathtub, uh, blood all over the uh, apartment. She walks in, he closes the door behind her, locks the doors, uh, puts a knife to her back and says, I'm already going away for one murder, as will make it two. Looks like you're next. And so her intuition calmed him down, watched him. This is now the relational intuition and situational intuition. So you can see all elements of four, uh, intuition is there. Managing him, he, ex- he ends up assaulting her, choking her. She had some couple of blood vessels rupture. uh, And she was asked to clean the blood, uh, which she refused. And her situational intuition got an intuitive moment where she was able to escape, uh, unlock the doors, run 18 flights of stairs down, call 911. And obviously she lived. So she used the seven day challenge to, uh, of course, she had like PTSD, depression, anxiety, Up the yin yang from that and so the seven day challenge minimized it's not going to get rid of it but what she learned in the seven day challenge was that she could go to the gym and it was just really freeing for her emotionally she was able to calm down she was able to start to learn how to trust people uh, and she continues to use some of those practices in the seven day challenge so if people like john and ashley can solve that those type of problems and that's wide ranging from failure to you know i almost got killed um you know, I would imagine somewhere on that spectrum, you have a problem that you can solve in your personal life or your professional life. Then why not take advantage of something that's free? Uh, I, you know, I, again, I, it's a question I pose to a whole bunch of people, right? And so that's sort of the, again, we're coming back to my fire in the belly. I mean, there's all these things I have out there that people can grab for free just by doing things that, with something that's they're already born with and what a way to have a life you know if i can help them guide them that way there's my fire in the belly
0: well absolutely i mean it's it's you know it's there i mean i'm I'm blown away by that statistic i suppose and i'm curious you know do we do we sometimes mistake the the signals on the journey as you know it's too hard or i don't know you know the sort of thing off I don't know it's it's hard something to face your face your fears it's hard to you know sort of be honest with yourself it's hard to understand that actually your truth may not be your truth you know that actually that's a childhood pattern it's a it's a learned behavior whatever to try and cope i'm trying to strip through all that i mean it's is it hard or is it just it just we just don't know what's your feel Uh,
1: I, I don't think it's hard at all. I, I think for all the reasons that you've you've had, um, you know, I, I think these are questions that everybody should be asking themselves. Why is it hard when there's this thing that you're born with that hits you at the primitive part of your brain that's saying go left or go right, uh, one's right, one's wrong, and, and you you're always getting the direction wrong. You know, so then you really got to ask some tough questions, uh, and when I say tough. And when we say hard we have to be careful what's hard about it what's tough about it uh, taking the decisions the easy way what i think we i mean a couple of things i can think of is that we don't like the consequences we don't like what other people are going to perceive where we've we've done things for so long for so uh, such a long time or you're stuck in the past as you're talking about that where there's a pattern that we haven't gotten rid of um we're living for other people and we're trying to prove something to somebody else when we should be just living our own life and our own values, or they don't want to take the time. They don't want to have that self-talk. They don't want to put those values up on the wall and, and be frightening that they're actually in the driver's seat when they haven't been ever, they've never driven their own car uh, and they finally have to drive. And, and then we get into the excuses and putting it off. We go right back to like Vin Zhang did right back to the old way of doing things. And we just don't have those tough conversations. And there's, there's a whole spectrum of that. And so where is it that people fall in? And so like, you, this is where you've got the tools. You go to, I mean, it doesn't have to be me that helps them. It could be anybody else that helps them get better on that path of really clearing up where they want to be. And then just kind of stripping themselves of the surroundings, putting them in situations that are going to enhance that, uh, surrounding themselves with people who are going to enable that. And sometimes those People are gone from like 200 to three, but who cares? Right? I, I mean, it's, it, it, this is not a popularity contest like, uh, you know, the Pied Piper of Hamelin, where it's a popular contest and you're going to fall off the cliff surrounded by, you know, 500 rats that you don't, even, uh, you don't even know, like on social media. Right? This is about following the right person, yourself, down a path that you want to be down. And if it's lonely, well, who cares? right if you're happy yeah i mean i care right and and then you leave a legacy you you are you surround you affect the people around you i affect my two kids about intuition uh, and i was mentioning earlier my my 14 year old's now running a, a, a non-profit business because of fire in a belly moment in in india where she's an artist and if you look at the paintings behind me those are hers uh, you know she saw art uh, art by amazing postcards and and next thing you know she goes she found out people had no arms she goes dad I want to do something like, look at these, look at the way people treat these people with disabilities and illnesses in India. It's not fair. I said, okay, so you tell me what needs to happen. I put it in her court. And six months later, she came up with it. I want to sell my art. I'm going to raise some money. I'm going to do a pop-up event and I'm going to help those with disabilities come together at this pop-up event to feel special. That was her fire in the belly moment. And so I said, are you sure? was yes so the next day we opened up an official federal canadian corporation nonprofit corporation a month later we did her fundraiser she wanted 2500 dollars raised she raised over 5000 her originals were all sold in an hour of a three-hour event we had somebody from scotland on facetime looking at her originals looking to buy a couple of months after that we did her pop-up event um and this is where the fire in the belly turns into a purpose. This is where her values really cemented. There's a fellow there with um, Parkinson's disease who had come. And his name's Carl. Uh, and, and Carl had f- found out about the event and came um, and we invited him. And so he had told Avni, my, my daughter daughter's Avni, brings her over to the table, says, Avni, come here. And so for those who can't see, uh, like his left arm was just violently shaking from the cerebral palsy, right? It's just shaking. Um, uh, sorry Parkinson's disease. And he takes his paintbrush and he dips it in a piece of paint, uh, a glove of paint, and puts it on the canvas. And his left arm just settles. And he said, Avni, this is what your, your event is doing for me. That was her fire in the belly moment, where her purpose of what she wanted to do was cemented right then and there, It had nothing to do with the money. It had nothing to do with, you know, uh, she has a podcast series. It had nothing to do with having a website, has nothing to do with uh, bragging about what she's doing. And she's so humble because that's one thing my wife and I talked to her about. You do this for you. If there's any other intention, we're shutting it down. And I'm very, very hard about that. She knows that. Because if it's not come from a place of serving, a place of really wanting to do good in this world, you can, and she's running a business based on that, right? She has her own podcast. So she, sometimes she's beating me in, in some of the downloads. She's got people asking saying yes to her who said no to me. Uh, you know, it, it, one of the reasons she's cuter, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but um, that's the fire in the belly moment. And so if somebody like, and she's 14. So if I can have somebody like her and my nine-year-old understand this thing about, making decisions, finding your purpose, not wondering what other people think, doing good for people, making other people feel happy because of your efforts. I, I don't know what else there is to living life, honestly. I really, really don't.
0: Isn't it amazing to to live in that joy and, and to, to find that? I mean, I'm curious here, when When you're actually going through... I mean, do you follow your intuition or do you ever, is it, is it always the case we will always follow our intuition or is there ever a point that we will actually, um, we will manifest our intuition to a greater point or we will guide our own intuition? Is that possible or is it always, is it always a, a going to sort of a situation?
1: Yeah. So, so when we, when we get into a situation where sometimes we could make a bad decision. Uh, this is where we're really kind of overthinking things. So for some, if there's really important decisions, and I find this, uh, I, I do this as well, I get myself into what I call intuitive mediums or areas where I really need to think. So my intuition is leading me through a decision, but I've got to think about the path. So for example, let's say we we have, um, I, I can do it, like we have a marketing play now, right now for intuitionology. And so I have an, a, a view of what my intuition is. I'm listening to the signals of intuition saying, okay, I think we should go here. But what I need to do is if I go here, then I got to map out that path and see what my intuitive signals say, because I have a team now. And so I got to figure out, OK, is this the path or do I go here? What are their skill sets? What are their timelines? Um, how is it? What, what, how are we going to measure this? And all these kind of things I have to think about. And this is now when we're going from the amygdala to the rational part of the brain uh, in the front, uh, the frontal lobe. Um, and And I'm really listening to those signals. Uh, so for me, it's a guide. So I need to go to places, what I call intuitive mediums. And you'll also learn about this in the seven day challenge. Uh, so for me, it's it's the uh, like showering or just before I go to bed. Sometimes if it's a marketing decision, I don't know why, a marketing decision always gets me up at about two or three in the morning. And it has to do either do with marketing or branding, one of those two. Uh, and then I go back to sleep and after typing something in my phone, and then I discuss something in the with in the morning with the team up, I have to, if it's that urgent, Um, or uh, I'll bring it up in the team meeting, but I'll have some copious notes. So for me, that's where I need to to think. For those who are just getting into this, they are going to need that time to figure out what their signals are. And they may be making mistakes, but even those mistakes are good mistakes because if you made a bad decision, then you can tie it back to what's that negative signal. And some people also think that, Intuition purposely leads them down bad decisions, uh, you know, because they're going to learn a lesson in it. And so the and and so what I say is, it, actually, that's not it, based on what I th- I say in my in my opinion. That's not true. What happens is your intuition is always right. You actually choose to ignore your signals, uh, and uh, you just don't understand again this intuition um, uh, and how it behaves. And so one of the fellows I I interviewed, Mark Metry he's got the humans 2.0 podcast. I think it's one of the top 100 on Apple iTunes. Uh, And he came on, he's into social anxiety. And in high school, he almost took his own life because of social anxiety. And so when he started to tell that story, he was actually starting that story by saying, uh, I I actually, um, intuition actually does lead you down bad situations. And so this is now when I'm paying real close attention to the story because it's not, intuition. For me, it's one of those four intuitive hurdles. So he's telling the story of how he just had to lie, and he continued to lie, and he lost himself. And he lost himself so deeply that he wanted to take his own life. So he, if I t- take a look at this backwards, he succumbed to that, that uh, intuitive uh, hurdle ego, where he had to follow the herd so much that he lost his own values for the sake of values of others. And the only way out he knew was to actually kill himself. Uh, and it, it, after that, we talked about how intuition took him out. So that was the, that, the next part of that conversation. But right after he finished that story, I said, well, Mark, it, it, you know, it's interesting that when you're telling that story, the, at the one of the first things that you said right after you said, intuition sometimes leads you down the wrong path. The one of the first statements he said before he started telling about lying was, I knew I shouldn't have lied, but, and then he continued on with the story. The moment he said that was the moment his intuition actually snuck into our conversation to say, "Uh -uh, I already told you that you shouldn't have lied. Your decision to lie was because of ego. You just didn't listen to me, buddy. And that almost cost him his life. So intuition is always right. And we just need to spend the time to figure out what those signals are. If we need more time, take it. What's the harm? The main thing is that you take your inventory of positive and negative signals and pay really attention to both of them because every decision you make will then be confronted or met with a signal. And so you'll know whether you're making the right decision or the wrong decision. Right. And the consequences are just the consequences. Who cares about them? So stop worrying about the consequences because if your intuition is telling you to go in a decision based on your past learning, your history, where you find success, what you want, what your values are, what your purpose is, everything you want in, in your life where you will never have a regret. If your intuition is telling you to take that through a signal, listen to the damn signal.
0: What, I mean, when, when you're actually... If you were to take all your intuitive steps, I mean, first of all, I mean, is there a common theme when people sort of get downloads? If that's the way you do it, do you get a download from your intuition? And then the other quest, part of the question is if you were to say if you were to accept or to action all your intuition, where would you end up?
1: If you were to accept all your intuition?
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you were able to everything that you understood, it can you know you were able to take it on board and just said yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: So so in terms of downloads, um the way that intuition is going to work is for different people. is, is different for different people. So, is some people I've never had really I've uh, you can kind of characterize it as a download. So, if I'm thinking about something, I could consider it possibly a download of ideas about marketing. I can uh, again that that could be a characterization. I mean, J.K. Rowling talks about that where her whole Harry Potter uh, theme came when she was on writing uh, uh, on a train, and she was never writing for that genre. She, in fact, was in a real crappy place. And and next thing you know, Harry Potter came. All well, the characters one ch- 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 after the other. And so Harry Potter, the whole series and the characters were born out of an intuitive download. Uh, and if you go to my intuitionology.com website, the main website, I actually have that story uh, amongst those with Jeff Bezos and Sarah Blakely and all that. So her tiny piece of the story is there describing that exact download as we talk about it. Um, So the way that intuition, again, everybody's going to put their own spin or their own language around how it happens. And it's very, very important that they do that. I can make suggestions. As you say, it's a download. I can characterize it as a download. For me, I just know that when I'm in that intuitive moment, like I'm in the shower, I'm just thinking. And then these thoughts start coming about a problem I had. Uh, and then I just like everything just peels away. Like I, I can't even, feel, I can't hear the shower, um, you know, uh, unless my daughter comes, you know, starts yelling my name because she needs something It just breaks that. Sometimes I'll be lying down with my daughters, for example, like my wife have this, and I have this ritual every night, we switch between both of the girls, uh, just to have a five minute chat, you know, just to settle them down and talk about the day and what have you. Um, and in some cases, uh, sometimes even like just sitting, and by the even before my head sits at the pillow, I'm out. I'm in an intuitive zone, be, and my my daughter sometimes they'll, they'll wave their arms in front of my eyes, like Dad, are you thinking about intuitionology again? Uh, and then I say, well, you know, the reason why I do this, I'm so at peace. I'm so at, it's just so nice to be here that the only my intuition just acts instantly, like the noise just peels away or if I'm driving long distances or I'm in Niagara Falls overlooking the falls, that's another one. I can have screaming kids in the background. I can have a podcast interview on, but it all just peels away. And I just start thinking of those intuitive thoughts. So whether you characterize that as a download or what have you, again, that's that's an individual way. Uh, And so I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, so to speak. Um, And to live life like that is just how I was describing it at the very, very start of this interview. It's just, I, I just don't know how, how you can't live. I, I, I just don't know. And it gives it just, there's that sense of self-confidence that you have that, and there's the relatability with everything through that lens. Um, and so I'm able to kind of brush off people who don't understand, not in a negative way. I'm not just saying like, in a, it's just, this is just who i am i mean this is my train these are the tracks that i'm on and if you don't like it you can get off at the next station and if you really bother me i'll i'll uh, i'll kick you off myself but this is my journey uh, and um I, it, and if you want evidence, well, I look at the legacy I'm leaving with my two kids. I look at the happiness I have in my uh, that I wake up with. Yes, there's ups and downs, and uh, it doesn't mean I don't get angry at my kids for doing so. I mean, there's, there's things we can't control, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but overall, the day is fantastic. Uh, the people I surround myself, I have two uh, of the tens of thousands of people that are, I've come across in my life, and I've spoken to over a hundred thousand on stages based on my books and what I'm doing. I have two people. These two people are good enough for me. They satisfy that. I have a lot of fun with them. Um, they make me the happiest in the moment that we're together. Even if we are not saying anything, I mean, you know, outside of my family, I just, it's just sort of that feeling of, again, we're putting words to a feeling, but bliss of happiness, of contentment, um, and these are just sort of my lenses of language. You know, somebody else may may describe it differently, but that's up to them to describe that same cathartic feeling I have. Um, and I'm and I'm just I'm able to teach that to other people, right when they ask. And I'm able to reach out to people. Somebody needs help, I'll reach out to them, and we'll have a half an hour discussion. And uh, we had one where somebody was in a real crappy place. I was watching a Prince EA video, very inspirational, and I saw this DM. I'd go some of the comments, and he said, "I need to talk to someone." Uh, and I reached out to him and we had eventually got on a phone call. This guy was about to take his own life. Um, he was in a crappy place. He applied for so many places as a 20 year welder, career welder, looking to even bag groceries or go to a gas station. Nobody wanted him. Uh, and he was about to end his life. He, and he, it was a, re, a reach out call for help. And I saw it, uh, and we turned that discussion into his love for fishing he wanted to be, be he wanted his daughter to be proud of him. And so we turned that into him actually becoming go using social media to not only just teach people about fishing, but teach people about fishing and get some affiliate marketing with like fishing lures and things of like that. So half an hour later, you know, we have this this business model now of how he can do what he absolutely is the fire in the belly moment, right? He just loves fishing and teaching people because there' are so many people doing things wrong. Um, then okay, so t- here's how you do that. You already have a cell phone. You know, you've already been fishing. You, you get things that people are going to really watch and then pay you for those, those lures that you can sell or worms or, and I'm not a fisherman. So I apologize to those who are listening or fishermen saying, what the hell is this guy talking about? Uh, so all I know is there's this rod, there's worms, there's lures, and they come in different colors and they look neat in some of the, co- the, the uh, commercials I've seen. But there's a chance to get some affiliate marketing uh, play there. And then eventually, if that gets popular, then YouTube will end up paying him. But don't focus on that. Focus on what's your passion and that, and teaching people the right way. And that's how you're going to get paid. Uh, and and that's when somebody will be proud of you. Don't look at somebody being proud of you as a driver. You 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 work you work the fire in your belly. You work that passion. You work at what you're really excited about, and then people will be proud of you. That's the lens that you should do. Not, I want her to be proud, so therefore I'm going to. That's the wrong way of looking at it. Uh, and I touched base with him once. He was well on his way, but what an instant change in his voice, in his excitement, um, you know, from that tweet. And who knows what would have happened if nobody answered that tweet. Um, so does that make me anybody special? No. Uh, yeah, I'm just doing exactly what we're talking about, which is. My intuition is saying, you know, reach out, touch with them, get in touch with them. It was that instant, connect with them, and give him, yeah, give him your information. I didn't need to charge him for that. I wasn't looking to make him a client. Uh, it's just the right thing to do. Uh, and I'm uh, earlier, you asked me what, what I, why I wanted to do things and teach people this stuff, and, and there's an example. Uh, I, I think that's just a great way to live life, uh, and it's not about other people noticing, it's not about, you know, raising a white flag saying, I'm, I'm trusting my intuition or, uh, you know, do this and make me a millionaire. I mean, it has nothing to do with that. It has just waking up and teaching my daughters that and sleeping with a smile on my face and doing that over again. And, and you know, I, I it's such a fulfilling life. Uh, and I sometimes I tell my daughters, you know, I, I can die with a smile if I die tonight, I'm dying with a smile on my face. Of course, they get mad. And say, Dad, no, no, don't talk like that. But I said it's true. When you do stuff that you love, uh, and you're affecting other people, and it's just it's just that cathartic. Uh, you have no regrets, and I just I can't seem to find any other way to live life for me.
0: Did you? Did you ever find yourself in that position yourself, of questioning your own life, or? No, I
1: I I. I <sighs> All the decisions I used to at some point. There was a time during my discovery period, or where you know, when I didn't really do this deep dive into intuition, where uh, I I did question why did I do that? How come? Um, there's a point where I had no friends, but I was also the, the happiest. Why? Why? Why did I, I didn't have a job? I had no money. I had no friends, but I was the happiest. I just remember being on this. It's so. So ingrained in my head, I, I'm just walking down this street in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It was 17th Avenue, and I was just—you would think at one of the lowest lows of my life, but it just seemed that I was the happiest guy on this earth. Um, for for some reason, I just can't—I couldn't explain it then. And then you know, one opportunity opens, another door of opportunity opens, and then I just start—you know—things just start happening. And you know, I meet the right people, I get a six-figure contract. Uh, the money comes back in. I get married to the love of my life. Um, you know, I have two wonderful kids. Uh, so there were times where I did look back, but now I look I, I, I look back at those and I learn from the decisions that I made. And sometimes they inform me, if I'm making a decision that is going against a negative signal, I might get curious, why, did I, why was I about to make that decision, right? Was there? What was there in the past um, doing that? And sometimes the past sneaks up on how come this person behaves that way? Why 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 can't that person be like this? And so it's almost that that judgment starts coming up uh, on why people can't be like that. And I just simply I'm getting really good at pulling that away, saying that's not my path. I can sit and ponder, but I can ponder without any emotion in there. So these are just more just questions to ponder without emotionally getting involved, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, and some of those 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 past decisions are teaching tools for others and for my kids and for myself. Um, it's just that there's no emotion attached to it. Um, but yeah, reflection I think is great, but uh, I've, it's things that we're learning lessons uh, to move back. And if I start thinking back too far, too much, sometimes I'll catch myself going in the past too much. Um, I'll quickly just step out and say, okay, I can't, wasting too much time looking back. Uh, let's look now, to now and, and let's be present and then move ahead.
0: Uh, i mean interestingly i mean is is reflection or looking back is that part of the process i mean do you is there strength in that too but just with the slight sort of slight side caution of saying yeah go and look but don't stay
1: yeah exactly and then again if if we're looking to signals right so, so early on in this process is really looking back at the signals what were those signals what did i feel uh and did, did i catch everything and sometimes i'll 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 Think about the menu or some of the other things that might come up when I'm talking about a story to my girls that and they'll lead me through another thing and then uh, lead to a bad decision. Oh, it's just teaching me about a ty- different type of decision or is it confirming a signal I have uh, or the type of decision I'm, I'm now better able to make. So those are the kind of things that I look at as sort of teaching moments. But initially, for sure, it's like those signals, like what did that tell me? What did I feel at that moment? And let's get back to that first signal, what led to that decision. And I really get back into the weeds of the very, very first decision that led me to this, to this, to this. And sometimes that's a that's a, it's a hard hard thing to get get into with it, the minutia. And, and some people, it, it reveals a lot about somebody that maybe they might not realize um, that they're afraid of, but they shouldn't be afraid. I mean, they're not telling other people this. These are intrinsic thoughts or quiet thoughts. And it's okay you shouldn't feel bad i mean you went through that for a reason okay you went through that for a reason move on and just learn from that moment what did it feel like park your emotions or get help to get the emotions out of that if you're really trapped from something traumatic and that's when you need the help. So I use something hypnotherapy, or there's therapists that'll help you, or you know, get you can you can whatever help you need that are, that's professional to get you out of any kind of traumatic events. And what that does is it releases the emotion that's stuck back there so that you can actually start being present to move ahead. But that's all decisions you have to make, right? That's that's an individual decision.
0: I'm curious. I mean, even though you know, you talked about the hypnotherapy. I mean, you talked about you know the shower moments, you know, and those those yeah. great old go out for a walk. So it, it, it almost seems like it's a, it's a time when the conscious mind is disengaged and the subconscious is allowed to come out to play, if you like. I mean, that seems to be sort of a moment of intuitive enlightenment. Is yeah, right absolutely.
1: Words? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and remember, your 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 subconscious ninety percent of your brain. You know, when you talk about the left brain, right brain, we're talking about like just a, a tiny tip of some iceberg and that's where your left brain, right brain lives. I mean, everything underneath is huge, this massive library. And when you allow it to play, uh, you know, he, anything's possible hmm. uh, given the constraints you're in, but anything really is possible, you know, and I've got people who've gone from, Being homeless to multimillionaires, uh, people being incarcerated to changing the lives of others, um, you know, incarcerated for murder. Uh, I've got people who are on the brink of killing themselves to or have a needle and stuck in their arm to becoming a successful real estate person. I've got people who are almost about to hang themselves now. Um, you know, getting into the right relationships and you know working for companies where they enjoy their time. So uh, again, the, the journeys of where people have been through from and where they are are really about that discovering it, it, from my perspective that intuition in that intuition, the intuitive signals that help them live a healthier life um, in whatever role, in most personal and professional roles. Um, and as companies, when you when you can live your life even as that story, uh, as that that brand, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's what people, when people buy from you, they buy from you as that feeling. It's the amygdala, once again, people don't, you don't realize that when you buy a, a product, however, uh, you, you know, it could be even just a commodity, but there's still some values to why that brand with that commodity. What is it about that story of that brand that really, affects you? Is it because your friend has that and they've told you stories of stuff or you? you that's a friend you love? And so you buy that cream or, uh, you know, we had the recent one with ketchup. Um, you know, I'd buy Heinz ketchup and they did something terrible to a community in here in Ontario. And I switched to uh, French's, which is a Canadian brand. Um, and so Heinz can, and I've, and I've moved away from that brand for Heinz. So Heinz can ha- spend, you know, two to $3 million per store, putting their, their brand up on, on uh, eye level. To attract somebody like me but I'll be looking uh, to French's because the value of mine of me have changed in what they did to that that community devastated the community all because of the dollars and cents and that goes against my value and so I'm not going to support you and then again we get back to opportunity cost again where it's not just the cost of you wooing me back with your marketing but it's also the cost of you extricating yourself from French's as a buying decision so now your cost is two and a half times or more and in research shows that it's six times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to sell to an existing customer. So it's actually six times, uh, right? And so even from a corporate perspective, a branding perspective, a marketing perspective, or in your personal life, again, we're back at intuition, that feeling, the value. uh, and, And that's what we buy. That's what we associate. That's why we do things in life, right? And so, you know, the science matches what kind of what we need but do you honestly need science to be happy I'm not sure if you really need to hang your head on that you know proving everything in your life I, I think you're uh you're sorely missing the moment
0: it's interesting we even ask you know I mean the, the very fact that you know if we ask for certain things it's like we're seeking permission as opposed to just being
1: yeah yeah Absolutely, and and uh, you, you know, seeking permission could be from mentors that you're looking at. That again, that you're because I'll ask some some questions to some mentors in my life, to who I truly trust as guides. Uh, and so it is part of that that your intuition will lear- use as part of that learning uh, and experience. So remember, the learner, both formal and informal. So that does help in say a marketing decision. Like I'm not a marketing genius. I don't. I didn't know anything about marketing before, but through. Uh, looking at the mentors online and talking to various other people and listening to podcasts uh, and using some trial and error stuff and having a team that has experience in marketing. So if I look at a digital marketing play, I've taken the time to gather that that all the experience from mentors online, what works, what doesn't work, what resonates with me, what budget, uh, what's the messaging I want. So that when I think of a digital marketing play, I think I've got all the things that that are going to make it successful. With enough people saying, yeah, 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 that makes sense. To say, okay, I think I know what I'm doing here. I think let's do it and try. And then the mistakes are good. If it didn't work, let's change um, because this didn't work. Um, and so therefore now, again, that's a mistake that I made that now goes into the subconscious area of the brain. And so I'm not going to repeat that. And if I'm advising somebody else, I say, well, I would advise you not to do that because this happened to me if I'm if I'm truly being honest with that person, um, and which I am you know, uh, and giving that, that advice out, don't do it. Because of when I did it or or think about your situation for first, before you spend money doing that. So again, that's, that's where, you know, uh, having the mistakes is, is great. It's okay.
0: Mm. Out of interest, what, what are your values, your core values?
1: The big one is leaving a legacy for my kids. Um, uh, that's one when it comes to family, when it comes to friends, um, having those that whenever the easiest way I can, I can do this is kind of surprising my wife when I'm steeped in work, I've got a ton of things on my to-do list. And my wife says, uh, Oh, there's a text saying, do you want to go visit these guys for dinner? And I'll say, absolutely. Let's just shut everything off. And I'm just going to get up. And then she goes, I thought you were busy. And I said, yeah, I am, but let's go. Right. So that's the way I can, I can sort of thing when it comes to family, when it comes to friends uh, when it comes to money, money is just a means to an end, uh, and I. There's something I say when it when you take care of the inputs, the outputs take care of themselves. So let me worry about just changing people's lives, and I'll be able to live comfortably. Uh, so that's my sort kind of my values with money. So those are kind of the big, big three that I look at when it comes to friends, families, money. Um, and I guess that's also includes relationships without digging into way too many details. But those are sort of the core values that I have. And, and again, with the kids, just leaving them with just the I mean, they're kind of I see as an extension of them. Um, and it was one my nine year old still doesn't understand. It's just, she asked me when I was eight. I said, I still don't get these things called signals and feelings and things like I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, has there ever been an incident where, or time, I don't want to say incident. So has there ever been a time when you actually wanted to say something so badly uh, and it was just itching at you to say, but, and then you said it and it felt good. And she goes, yeah, that, that happened, dad. And so well, tell me what happened. And so she said, she was in line to see Santa. we were at the mall during Christmas time. So she's in line to see Santa Claus and she still believes in Santa Claus. She's nine. So we kept, we kept that going. Uh, and I, st- every single year I still a call, um, you know, my wife changes my name to Santa Claus and she said, dad, dad, you miss Santa Claus again. Every year you miss Santa Claus call. I don't know why. So luckily she hasn't tied that together, but so she, she's uh, in line to see Santa Claus. She sits on his lap and he goes, yeah, dad, you know, he was asking me questions and he, she starts pinching in her nose. He goes, his breath was stinking. Oh my God. And so then she, she looks at her temple and she goes, I was, my intuition was telling me, that he should eat a candy cane so that his breath would smell fresh. So I asked him, can you eat a candy cane, Santa? And he goes, sure. And so he opened he ate a candy cane. And then he started asking me more questions. And he says, his breath smelled much better. And then she goes to her temple. Always trust your intuition. <laughs> so, so she's kind of getting it. But what I was really surprised about was um, – I had both of the girls go to the seven day challenges to test it out. And what I was surprised about with my seven year old, I never knew this, but um, when she's going through some of that, she, one of the problems she had was bullying and I had not known that. And so when she describes some of the things that didn't work in the past, she actually starts typing in some of the the things that she didn't try very easy stuff about getting away from bullying. Like I should have stayed away when this happened. Uh, And so this was seven and I was like, wow, I didn't know that. And so she was eventually, both my daughters were eventually able to move away from bullying before they got bullied. Uh, And so they were able to see the behaviors ahead of time. The behaviors were not in alignment with their values, and they were able to get away. Now, I'm talking about this in a very process map type of way, but think about a seven-year-old thinking about that. And Avni, I think this happened when she was 11 or 12. She's not thinking about a process map. They're just thinking about, oh my God, you know, uh, I should move away. And so what I'm thinking about when I describe that is that I'm hoping that what I've infused in terms of the way I talk about intuition has really kind of got them to understand, and their le- at their level what that meant, and so they're able to actually make those decisions to pull away. Now, uh, they're gonna, there's gonna be peer pressure, there's gonna be societal pressures. I'm not gonna be there forever. Uh, you know, they're gonna move out of the house, gonna go to university or wherever they decide to go. It's up to them. Um, so they're going to have to manage that. But I'm giving them a way to manage that now. doesn't mean that there's going to be ups and downs and sideways. They have to figure out life on their own. They have to fail on their own. Um, but if I can give them a tool set, which is a leg up, you know, that's great. And hopefully that leg up is there and I can help them further. Uh, and so that they are able to live life based on intuition um, and, and really find success in their own way that they want. Um, and, you know, that's a big part of my values.
0: Interesting. I mean, a lot of your values are projected through others. I mean, uh, out of curiosity, are are you where you're supposed to be now, do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. Uh, uh, Yeah, every day is is exactly the way I want. Uh, You know, just telling my story to those eventually listening. Um, What I've got today. um, Yeah, just I'm exactly where I want to be. Um, I can't think of any other place at all.
0: Were you able to reconnect with your father? You you mentioned earlier that, you know, you had to sort of step away and really sort of find your own path. And how did that all work out?
1: Fantastic. We are closer than ever. Um, And what's even more surprising, I think, is that the relationship we had before was your typical East Indian son, East Indian father relationship. It was based on sort of playing this role and what he wanted me to play out in terms of what it means to be a good East Indian, but his legacy should be from like a storybook of being an East Indian father. And I think what was missing was what we have now. It's just pure joy when it comes to texting each other, seeing how we are doing, laughing, having some jokes. Um, And so we've gone from this sort of storybook, fairy tale type of thing that East Indians, and I think the majority of, uh, in my, I see this time and time again in my culture and I'm sure there's other cultures. I've heard the middle Eastern cultures like that, Chinese culture. Um, so it, it seems to be the sort of pervasive and I'm sure it's in, of, the, of the other cultures. These are just people that are telling me, you know, they see it in their cultures as well. Um, and it continues. I see this in some of the friends that I've got who are grooming their kids to be doctors when they don't really care about, you know, what they're, what they really want. It's about the story, uh, that they've got in their own heads. And so with my dad, even though we didn't speak, uh, eventually he ended up finding out what I was doing and loving it. And, and there was this cathartic moment at um, so when I when I had my first book, yeah, before my first book came out, I had a big uh, conference in London, Ontario, and it was all around learning from failure. And I sold out those two hundred and fifty tickets. I sold out each and one, each one of them. Uh, and he came and he didn't realize it was my conference. So he kept coming and he sponsored the event, uh, one of the sponsors. And he kept wondering, well, why is Sunil always, he's practicing a speech, which is good. He was at the head table. And he said, oh, wow, Sunil's got some pull. That's amazing. Um, and then uh, he just says, well, why is Sunil always on stage, like introducing all these speakers? And then there was this huge Canadian businessman who's, who's actually been a friend of mine, um, uh, Bruce Croxon. And Bruce was a, our, our headliner. And Sunil's always hanging around Bruce. And I like, I like, I don't understand that. And then, so there's a friend of mine who was at that point, he was a police, police officer. And he was saying that I was just talking to your dad and your dad just like, he just broke away and just starts looking around. And, and like, he's looking like my branding was everywhere. And he's looking around and he goes, uh, I think this is Sunil's event. <laughs> this, I think this, this is Sunil. And then things clicked. He was at the head table I was always enter- introducing everybody. I'm, everybody's talking to me. Bruce is hanging around me. And he looks at my my colleague, John, who's the uh, police officer. says, this is my son's event. He starts shaking his hand. He goes around to everybody. I, I'm Sneal's dad. I, I'm Sneal's dad, by the way. This is Sneal's event. I'm Sneal's dad. Yeah, I'm Sneal's dad. And it was almost like that was his moment of being proud. And more so, I'm not sure if it was being proud in that uh, now I'm paraphrasing I'm putting my words I think in what he was thinking but what I really think is that he was proud that I've done it in his eyes in my own way uh, and a relationship forever changed from that moment um he it's just been stronger and stronger and uh, yeah it just it's it we're stronger than the other two siblings I can say that for sure um and it's just because we have a real genuine relationship. It's nothing about the stories. It has, nothing, it's, it has to be everything about that relationship, making him happy, laughing. Uh, my two kids are so close to them. Uh, he, he talked. They talk to him. They, he actually, they're talk, they're texting him now almost every day, um, and it's that genuine relationship, that genuine love between a son and a father uh, two granddaughters and their grand, grand uh, uh, And it's just, it's, it's, there's a purity to it. That, um, is I think the essence of what all relationships should be. And that's the purity I have with my friends, uh, purity. I have with my dad, my, uh, uh my, uh, obviously my kids and my wife. Um, and that's the purity I wish to have. And for those who don't want to have that purity, I keep them at bay. And that's what my intuition allows me to do is that it looks at, What's the intention of other people? Uh, why do they want to be your friend? Why are they coming in the circle? Do they, are they really, where are their values? How are your values matched up with yours? All these things are what my intuition is, you know, really kind of calculating in a split second to say, and, and then I'm looking at that person again, when you look at the science, there's one particular part of the brain that's going to look at the situation and you're reading people, uh, you're watching for twitches. It takes, research says it's 14 seconds, takes only 14 seconds to trust someone. Uh, And that's on average, right? Uh, And so I'm looking at someone, do I trust them? What's the intention? And and I'll know pretty quickly what that is uh, or I'll find out very, very quickly. So I keep them at bay, do some investigation. And then if, if I find the intention is misaligned, I'll keep them at bay. I'm not going to cut them out. I, it could be cordial. Uh, maybe go for coffee, have some good laughs, um, you know, but certainly they're not going to penetrate the inner circle um, because I, the inner circle has got to have that. I've got to have that purity uh, and that drives me and I'll still have great relationships. I, it doesn't mean I won't enjoy time with them. Uh, it's just that this, this sort of a stratified way of, of yeah, having my relationships that my intuition wants me to have. Um, and, and so with my dad, yeah, it's that purity. And, and I think, um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Right. And I'm glad that what had happened in the past had happened in the past, because now I can look at that purity from a comparative perspective uh, if I need to. Uh, And I think that's, there's a powerful part to that. Are you
0: proud of yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. 110%. Well, 100%. Can't go 110%. Absolutely proud of myself.
0: Do you like yourself? Do you love yourself?
1: absolutely absolutely yep
0: Mm. it's 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 amazing i I love your clarity in terms of your clarity of conviction and you know what it's all about you know it's so so powerful thank you
1: i appreciate that um but i think it's i think it's everybody should be like that Uh, and can you imagine what the world would be like that if we were all like that. If corporations were all like that, entrepreneurs were all like that. Um, you know, can you imagine the value, the the bliss that people would be having? But you know, I can't worry about the world. I can only affect people that I can affect, and I'll do it as ma- I'll try and affect as many people as I can. Realize that you, they can reach that same level of happiness and self satisfaction and contentment, or however you want to describe it. Uh, but it can happen, uh, and I'm going to try and do that. I'm trying to change as many people as I can, one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I try and do that every single day. So remember keeping that one person in front of me and that drives me because that's the person I want to change uh, mm-hmm. if I have to. Uh,
0: and I'll keep going. Mm. Well, what's the, I mean, what's the one thing you'd, you'd like your kids to take away from all this?
1: Um, continue to listen to their signals. Uh, they're, they're at that point where they're still discovering uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter now is in this, uh, you know, she's moving to high school. She's losing friends. She's getting sad about that, but talking through that about relationships. Uh, and so through the lens of sort of what she thinks is sad moments, these are, these are also lenses of revelation. Um, and so to try and give her that way of thinking about it. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, this really took me by surprise. My daughter was doing a podcast interview Uh, with someone and so she was interviewing someone and they turned the tables on her uh, about what she's doing and one of the things that really caught me by surprise was that she said that I will continue to do what I'm doing because I love it even though as my dad says there may be naysayers but it doesn't matter about the naysayers I'm just doing what I love Uh, and that really took me by surprise because she was never she never talks about that Uh, And the only time I've seen said naysayers was in podcast interviews like this, or when I'm talking to interviewees uh, and we talk about the naysayers that they've uh, overcome, because I've never used that term for her. I don't talk that formal to my kids. Um, And it was just shocking that that in that moment, I was like, what did she just say? Um, And uh, you know, so if that's a representation of, what I want my kids to take. I think that's a perfect representation of what I want my kids to mm-hmm. take from that. It doesn't have to be that formal, but they get it.
0: I think, I mean, the, the beauty of that, I and mean, it's such, it's quite enlightened, you know, to have that mental decision tree that you decide or that sort of flow chart that actually, not only will you just accept a value, you'll, you will test a value, you will see, is this of service? You will... Decide not to inherit somebody else's beliefs. You'll decide for yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's powerful, especially at that age. It's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, thank you. And, and it's not to say that they, it could be that she does adopt beliefs of others, but those beliefs sure. are also filtered through the intuition. The values are also filtered through the intuition. So whether they adapt, because we're all going to change, right? And we're going to morph uh, different careers, different opportunities, different people. And so there's, the, there's this, uh, I don't want to keep this sort of false sense that there's this thick bubble around us is that we morph and change, but there's a lens through it that our intuition protects us or keeps us on that path of, of, of happiness and success in every area, uh, based on sort of morphing that we are in control of that change. Um, And, and so I just want to make sure that people do understand you can change uh, and it's okay.
0: Mm, We're all perfectly imperfect, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. What, I mean, what, what sort of core message would you want to get out there? I mean, what's, you know, what's the one thing you, you wish everyone could hear? Uh, start today by reflecting
1: on the past and get your inventory of positive and negative signals. Spend the time to do that and be like that car where who cares what's under the hood? Just turn the crank and listen to the signals. And then that way, every decision you make, you will know what that signal is. And that's how you stop making bad decisions. And that's how you stop wasting time at two times the cost, because every decision is going to be the right one in what every area of your life. And that's how you live a life, in from my opinion, full of happiness and success.
0: Wow, well, it's powerful. If you were to describe then your fire in the belly in one or two words, what would it be?
1: My intuition that drives whatever fire I want to pursue. Because that starts, my intuition starts to fire.
0: Love it. So Neil, where, where can people follow you, hunt you down, track you, stalk you, connect with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to stalk me, please send me a positive note. Um, but obviously, there's intuitionknowledge.com. You can find, uh, there's a, my, my free uh, ebook is there. My seven-day challenge is there. Um, you, I'm on all the, my podcast series, you can link to intuitionology.com forward slash podcast. I'm on all the major apps. Um, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm going to try TikTok. I'm not going to dance because when I dance, there's going to be some strong intuitive signals to say, shut that guy off. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can DM, DM me happy to, um, to, to, answer any questions. But the main thing is just people just start today, whether it's a piece of paper uh, and you write down your inventory signals, start today. Start your inventory today, and if I can help in any way speed in that process uh, uh, or hasten that process, and grab the 7-Day Challenge, which is free, and and get the proprietary seven-step method. That's going to help you with every decision, um, and get in touch. If you have any questions, please get in touch, and I'll be happy to respond.
0: So Listen, I thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it everything you do I love it it's fascinating I could talk all day just about you know the intuition and there's, there's so much there so but for now thank you appreciate it
1: thank you I really appreciate your time thank you
0: well that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly but you know this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys and by the way sometimes it is personal it's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on we've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.